The text this morning for Pastor John's sermon is found in 2 Timothy 4, 6-18. through 18. And he writes, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and, and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. But Tychicus says, I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me in order that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed, and will bring me safely to His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, thank You so much for the Apostle Paul, what he endured deserted at the end of his life like the Lord Jesus, experiencing the preciousness of your fellowship in his defense, filled with assurance that you would bring him safely home to glory. What a man. What a model. Open our eyes, Father, to what he has to teach us now. May we be like him in measure, as is appropriate for us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago or months ago now, the deacons voted, as you heard from David, that I could take a three-month study leave, which begins on Thursday. And... If you want to hear what I'm going to be doing, come back on Wednesday because I plan to share my plans in some detail in the plenary session and and then pray with you and hopefully uh, get prayers from you about them. And then we'll move into some other good things on Wednesday night as well. Now, what this means about this morning's message is that it's a very special one for me because not only is it the last one that I will bring until uh, third week of August... But it's the last one that I will bring before my 10th anniversary at Bethlehem, which is July 13. When I came, July 13, 1980, I got out my old journal yesterday when I used to still write it out longhand instead of on the computer and read all those days. Good night. Good night was the Lord at work. Oh, I just want to read you some of those sometime. The things that the Lord was doing and the ins and outs of my heart and life, the end of 79 and beginning of 80. Wow. 
I just look back thrilled. And I cast about for a biblical testimony of faithfulness. And I found one. It's one of my favorites. And you've got it in front of you. If you, if you have your Bibles open still, we're going to look at it in some detail, especially verses 17 and 18 of 2 Timothy 4. Let me give the, the setting here. Paul is in Rome. He's in prison. And he knows that his life is almost over. Look at verse 6. I am already on the point of being sacrificed. The time of my departure has come. That's very different from Philippians. Remember Philippians there? He said, it might be here. That was at his first imprisonment probably. And uh, now he knows. He knows it's here. This is the last. It's the last letter he wrote. And uh, he has already defended himself once before the Roman tribunal. You see that in verse 16? At my first defense, no one took my part. All deserted me. So there's been one defense, and uh, now there will evidently be another one, and he does not expect it to go well. That is, he doesn't expect to be released. That's the context now in which we read... Verses 17 and 18, he looks back on God's goodness to him and he looks forward to the dangers and the hope. Let's read 17 and 18 again. The Lord stood by me, gave me strength to proclaim the message of his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I want to take that as my testimony this morning, and I want to take it as your testimony for the next four months, three months of study leave and one month of vacation while I'm away. Now, let's just take it one phrase at a time and let it cast you thinking back on God's goodness in your life and thinking forward in the goodness that he has promised for these next months. Let's take the phrase first. The Lord stood by me. I hope that if there's one phrase ringing in your ear when you leave this service this morning, it will be the phrase, the Lord stood by me. The Lord stood by me. That is a glorious testimony. I'm sure it's true for almost everybody in this room. You can look back a month, a day, a year, 10 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years and say how true it is. The Lord has stood by me in my life. He has never deserted me. And if that's true, I just hope you get on the phone today or get on a letter today and tell somebody how good the Lord has been to you and say, the Lord stood by me. I remember when I was just at my end and I'm still alive and still a Christian and he stood by me. Jesus Christ is a very personal friend to me. I remember very near the beginning of the ministry here, the Lord opened my eyes to a text about the friendship of the Lord in John 15 that shed so much light on the meaning of my ministry. Let me share it with you. John 15:13 to 15, it goes like this. Greater love has no man than this, than that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, 
for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Now, do you see what that implies for my ministry? It means that the very foundation of my ministry is the friendship of Jesus. Because what is my ministry but to know what the master is doing and to make it known? To know what the master is like and to make it known. But the text says servants don't know what their master is doing. They live in the servants' quarters outside. The friends get welcomed in. They sit at the table. He tells everything to his friends. He makes known what the father is doing. And the friends have an inside track on God. The friends are privy to the purposes of the Almighty. What would I do without the friendship of Jesus in my ministry, therefore? It's a very precious thing to have the Lord say, No longer, John, do I call you a servant. Now, there's a sense in which I am a servant, of course. We must always balance these biblical truths out. Any metaphor can be taken too far in one direction. And if you take servant too far in one direction, you miss friend. The friendship of the Lord is the foundation of my ministry. And I just want to testify with tremendous gratitude and with great respect to him that he has been faithful to me. And I have felt his hand on my shoulder again and again. The Bible says there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 18.24. And that's Jesus in my life. The text goes on. The Lord stood by me and gave me strength to proclaim the message fully. My experience of the faithfulness of God to give strength for the ministry of the word began the moment I was conceived in the womb of Ruth Piper. I cannot begin to express adequately my thanks for the absolutely sovereign work of grace that put me in this family called the Piper family, Ruth and Bill, Beverly, my sister. I grew up in a home where this strengthening presence of the Lord was believed and lived. And my heart aches for those of you who must struggle against the memories where that was not so. And I hope that you realize that the very meaning of the gospel is that you do not have to have had a functional family to have a functional relationship with Jesus. That is the meaning of the gospel. Where sin abounded... Grace did much more abound. And that includes the sin of our past generations. But it was not so for me. It was not so. My mother and my father, day by day, believed with all their heart that God would stand by us as a family. I grew up in the milieu of the most vibrant, bright, singing confidence that the Lord would stand by us. No matter how bad the financial circumstances became, and they were hard for my dad. He was a 
traveling evangelist who depended entirely on love offerings, and sometimes they were absolutely a pittance, and he'd come home with almost nothing in his pocket, and we'd get together and pray, and he was vibrant with confidence that the Lord would provide. No matter how much the health was attacked and no matter how much the ups and downs of my father's ministry, they lived in radiant confidence that the Lord would stand by us. It's not hard for me to believe this promise. And I thank God for that grace. I had nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with where I was born. I just happened to be there. In my bedroom... There were two single beds. I never had a brother to sleep in the other one. So I slept in the one by the door. And at the foot of the bed, hanging on the wall, was a picture. I think I've told you this before. It was made out of a log. And painted on it was a boy. Looked to be about 16 or 17. Long hair. And he's in a ship. And his hands are firmly clasped on the wheel and the wind is blowing and the waves are breaking over the boat and the clouds are down and it is very dangerous and his gaze is set into the future and it is full of danger and adventure and at his side is Jesus larger than he is looking straight ahead with a serene look of total composure and his left hand is on the boy's right shoulder every night I looked at that picture every morning. I woke up to that picture and I came to believe that picture with all my heart. The Lord stood by me. It's fun to take out my old King James Bible. It's got two Johnny Piper inside from mommy and daddy. This book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. And read my teenage underlinings. I love it because I can't remember it. But when I read it, I say, my God, was at work. Thank God for his grace in my life. He was at work in so many ways. Now, this text says, the Lord stood by me and gave me strength to proclaim the message fully. Now, preaching is the most important work of my life. It is not more important than being holy. It is not more important than being kind. But when it comes to tasks, it is the most important work of my life. Other tasks are important in the ministry, but this is most important. When I look back over the ten years of my preaching ministry, I want to say with the Apostle Paul, the Lord stood by me to give me strength to proclaim the word fully. And I think in two regards that I stand in awe of. Number one, in ten years I have never missed a Sunday morning for sickness. And it's not because I don't get sick. I get sick a lot. But the Lord hears the cry of His people and my cry. And Friday and Saturday have always brought healing. Always, without exception. At least enough to get through Sunday morning. And the second way I think of this is that I have, and this is even more wonderful to me, I have never, ever been without a message that I love, that I want to bring 
Never have I walked into this pulpit saying, God, I haven't got a thing to say. And the message I've got, I don't really feel excited about. Never! I have loved the Word of God. And let me warn you here, lest you misinterpret. That is not because my personality is not prone to downers. That is not because I have never been spiritually destitute. It just means that the paralysis of Thursday has always been broken by the dawn of Friday and Saturday. And you know why? You've prayed. That's why. Spurgeon went to the continent one time and somebody asked him, Why has God blessed your ministry? And he said very simply, My people pray for me. I don't have any doubt about that. I am one of the most prayed for men in this city. I believe that with all my heart. Because I have felt the amazing break of the impossibility of preparing for Sunday. I mean, just ask yourself, when you have gone through weeks of emotional paralysis and depression, what if I had to stand before a thousand people and preach good news this Sunday? What would I do? God would meet your need if you had to. Because he stands by you. And he will always stand by you. Keep on reading. The Lord stood by me and gave me strength to proclaim the message fully. That all the Gentiles might hear it. God taught me something in the fall of 1983. Namely... That the power of the presence of Jesus, the power, see that word here, strengthening, of the presence, the Lord stood by me, the power of the presence of Jesus standing by me is given for world evangelization. That's what he taught me. The power of the presence of Jesus is given for world evangelization. Now, I'm always walking a razor's edge here because I know most of you are not called to be missionaries. And when I begin to get red hot for missions, I can give the impression that nobody should stay home. And uh, you know I don't believe that. Just a lot of you shouldn't stay home. (laughs) I know that the Lord stands by us to give us peace. I know that the Lord stands by us to heal our wounds. I know that the Lord stands by us to make us whole. But do you know why the Lord forgives our sins, gives us peace, heals our wounds, and makes us whole? That the unreached peoples of the world might hear. That our joy in God might be full as we share that joy with other people. We cannot as a church nor as any individual ever rest content in the peace of God's hand on our shoulder here until we have done what we can do to make sure the 12,000 unreached people groups are reached. That's what Paul, just picture Paul, here he is deserted. You can imagine how he would lick his wounds with self-pity, pouring his life out. I read this morning in 2 Corinthians 11 where he described his sufferings and he said, uncounted beatings. He can't count the number of times he was beaten. And I thought if I were beaten once for the cause of Christ, the world wouldn't cease to hear about it. And he mentions it one time in all his letters. 
And five times he received 39 back lacerating lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods. Whack! 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 And they all deserted him at the end of his life. And he said, may the Lord not hold it to their charge. And then he said, God, give me strength to reach the nations. Would we not be swallowed up in self-pity? Would we not say, I have enough problems of my own. Let somebody else reach the nations. I've been beaten down and I have no friends anymore. What a man. What a man. Perhaps... What he meant in verse 17 was, when I preached at the tribunal, there was a big crowd from all the nations in the empire listening to this rabble rouser. And I preached to all of them. Or maybe he meant when I preached, there were Christians lurking in the corners. And I preached with such fervor that the brothers and sisters were made bold. Maybe they'll go when I die. At any rate... He gave me strength to fulfill the word so that all the nations would hear. It's burning in his heart as he gets ready to die. Whatever the case, he loves his mission. Well, utterly unplanned and unanticipated by me, I was not given to missions in 1980 with very much fervor. But God came down on us in 1983 And taught us that the friendship of Jesus is for the nations. And that the precious hand on the shoulder is for world evangelization. Span. S-P-A-N. Span the 90s. Spreading praise to all nations is a great, great tribute to what God is doing at Bethlehem. And what he has done. The mission's budget has quintupled. 90 by 90 was reached in 1988. The Missionary Nurture Program has over 60 people in it. And many of you are dreaming your own dreams of how to be more personally involved in finishing the Great Commission, like Clayton and Mary and so many others, Ozzie and Lois, and the older and the younger, dreaming their dreams in these days about frontline involvement. Verse 17 ends. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil and save me for his heavenly kingdom. Now, let's note carefully this. What does Paul mean that he is rescued from? What is the lion's mouth? Now, we've got to see this in the flow of the logic of this verse. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth, and the Lord will rescue me from every evil and save me for his heavenly kingdom. What evil threatens his entrance into the kingdom? That's a very crucial question. Not death. Death is the doorway to the heavenly kingdom. God doesn't need to spare Paul from death 
in order to get him into his heavenly kingdom. He will rescue me from every evil and save me for his heavenly kingdom. What evil would bring him down so that he could not enter the kingdom? Where else do we read of a marauding lion threatening to devour believers? You know 1 Peter 5.8. Beware your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. The evil deed that would bring Paul down and keep him from entering the kingdom would be unbelief, apostasy, forsaking the Lord, abandoning his Christ. And so he's thanking the Lord here that he rescued him from the effects of suffering and the effect of danger. Namely, he has rescued him from unbelief. He has rescued him from apostasy. He has rescued him from loving the world like Demas back in verse 10. Demas has left me in love with the world. He has rescued me from cowardice. He has rescued me from throwing it all away for one or two more years of comfort and ease in the suburbs of Rome. He has rescued me from all of that and saved me For his heavenly kingdom. One of the burdens of my life in these ten years has been to try to make plain the meaning of perseverance biblically. It's hard to understand. People misunderstand it all the time. One time I'm a hyper-Calvinist, the next day I'm an Arminian. Which makes me think, maybe I'm getting it just about right. There is danger that you could miss the kingdom, brothers and sisters, and I could. If we were to abort in our faith and prove that we were sham believers all along. But the glory of the assurance of the Christian is this verse 18. He will save me for his heavenly kingdom. Not I will save myself or some act past when I walked an aisle at seven and lived like the devil for 40 years will save me. He will save me. How will he save me? By guarding me from every work that would bring me to ruin. He will not let me walk down any path so far that I cannot repent and return back to him. He will save me from the lion's mouth by helping me resist in faith. And therefore, how we should say with Paul at the end of the verse, end of verse 18, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Why? Why to the Lord be glory? Why, if I must persevere in faith, shouldn't I get the glory? And the answer is, He will save me for his heavenly kingdom. He is the one who will guard me from all evil. He should get the glory for my faithfulness. And so let me just close by turning this promise to you for the next three or four months. I have a great confidence that this verse is going to be fulfilled in you. 
that the Lord will stand by you, that he will keep you from all evil and bring you, save you for his eternal kingdom. So let me just close with some very affectionate and expectant and hopeful exhortations. I exhort you in my absence to be faithful to the church, to give generously and faithfully to the ministry, to attend upon the services of the Lord with hope and joy, to pray for the ministries of the work, to fulfill your gifts, and to witness with boldness before the Lord and before the world. And above all, and as the foundation of all, believe this promise. I will stand by you, says the Lord. I will deliver you and rescue you from every evil work. And I will save you for my eternal kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand for closing prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, my heart is so full of love to you and to this people that it is not easy to walk away from this ministry for three months as fast as they will go and then vacation. I already anticipate the warmth and the affection of that first Sunday back in August. God, would you prove the truth of these promises by causing Every day in the heart of these people to ring the truth. The Lord stood by me. The Lord will stand by me. He will rescue me from evil work. He will lift me from discouragements. He will save me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. And all the people said, Amen.